championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Hello and welcome to 4th and 5, your Longhorn Nation podcast. I'm your host, Will Bazer, and I'm joined alongside by Jacob Dedimore and Jason Chilton. You guys, today, it's a little bit of a, that ginger after a bad piece of sushi, a nice autumn breeze after a Texas summer. Really focusing on seafood to start this thing. I'm not, not quite <laughs> sure why, but I'm interested to see where you go with this. Yeah, and, you, and you're... <laughs> And you're dating the wrong gingers. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Okay, that's a good way to start. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Yeah, guys. I, I was thinking about that intro in the car. I rehearsed it. And then Jake, Jake, Jason, you just... Just, yeah, be, befouled it. You went and did that. All right. <laughs> Guys, Texas. Well, I was thinking about sushi because of rice, right? I mean, Texas came sure. in. Okay, yeah, let's after... go with that. <laughs> no, I, I, hey, okay, fine. <laughs> it's like just watching the horse at the start of the Kentucky Derby just ram straight into the compartment before it opens and then be shot. <laughs> I mean, that's how this show has started. <laughs> All right. Texas came out of that Arkansas game absolutely destroyed. Texas fans didn't know what hit them. This game was sort of a way for Texas to clean the slate and get back on the horse. Am I right, Jason? Yes. We have applied the paddles to the horse. We discovered it was only it only grazed the skull, and the, yeah, the horse is now ready to, to give it another go out of the gate. Yeah, exactly. So... Let's go ahead and talk about what we saw to this Rice game last weekend. There's not much you can take away from it because, again, it is just Rice. But let's go ahead and try to deep dive and overreact here, why don't we? You guys ready oh, for that? Oh, sure. Why not? What's the point of a podcast of if not to overreact to things? That's the exact reason we have this podcast. So what exactly did y'all see from the offense in this game that you liked? Well, I mean, I think what I saw initially was that Overall, the offensive line execution was much better in this game than we've seen in the first two weeks. Not to say that was it not to say it was perfect, not to say there still weren't mistakes here and there, but generally speaking, and that's what I was watching for was I wanted to see how Texas played up front and along the offensive line, they did a whole lot of good things. Uh, part of that was because of game plan. They were going to establish the run no matter what. Um, Sarkeesian smartly was running a whole lot more outside zone than he was inside zone and it worked. And even Okafor was doing a whole lot better job. And Jason, you mentioned this uh, a couple of weeks ago. We've talked about this some, when it comes to run blocking, when he gets out there and gets hat on a hat, he's pretty good. In fact, he can knock guys off the ball with relative consistency. Pass blocking is where he struggles. But just generally speaking, I saw a lot fewer blown assignments. And, you know, I know it's Rice, but the the strength of Rice's defense was up front. And I thought Texas handled them pretty well. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a relative strength for Rice. But yeah, I mean, there, there are a couple of, you know, legitimate guys who could play at other programs. <laughs> Not Alabama, but some other programs in, in the United States on that D-line. And just about everybody had some good moments. I, I thought uh, maybe probably their best guy, I think, was their nose tackle. I mean, he was a legitimately sized dude, could move reasonably well and and majors had a a number of good one-on-one blocks on him but you know as you were saying that emphasis on outside zone probably the best thing about that as a foundation for the texas run game is like not everybody has to win every battle decisively for you to gain some yards or a lot of yards (laughs) considering how well it fits Bijan's strengths the fact that he's got you know, so many options. He's got the ability to outrun the line, even if it's a trash, some trash in the middle. If something gets ugly up front, you know, especially when we kind of do that little little arc back block from the H back to seal open the, the backside, there can be huge cutback lanes. So I, I was just happy to see an emphasis on that after it was completely AMIA against Arkansas. And I just hope that really kind of continues to be just, I guess, the the lever that we start basing everything else off of, really, in the whole offense. Right. I think what you're talking about there is Texas was really focused on getting the running game going, right? I mean, that's what Jacob just said. But the place that this offense theoretically is the most dangerous is, is running the ball. So, obviously, they're trying to get this running game going. And this game, again, is a way to kind of get your tempo back, kind of get back into the swing of things with this run game and try to establish and understand the run game smooth out some flaws you know 427 yards six touchdowns three runs over 60 yards we'll we'll do that yeah and i also think not that we didn't know this already to an extent but man they have some a ridiculous amount of talent in that running back room Mm -hmm. i mean it's just it's disgusting on many levels, how much talent the running backs have. And, you know, I was really happy for Roshan Johnson, that huge run he got out of the, uh, the, what somebody call it, the Rocat formation with him at quarterback. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I think that's something that they could do, have some trickery out of later this season if they really wanted to try, since he's a former quarterback, you could maybe do something funny there, but, um, I tell you, the guy. Yeah, well, we, the the eighteen the eighteen wheeler has conditioned me forever to realize they will never do anything creative off it, no matter how bad you want. It will always either be the the, the first handoff or or dive up the middle by the guy with the ball. Yeah, but we probably. can dream. But we can we can dream. <laughs> yeah, we can. But the guy, as much as I love Roshan Johnson, and I'm a Roshan Johnson stand, man, Keelan Robinson, that kid has got juice in a big way. You guys, you guys know the the TikTok. I'm fast as fuck, boy. I'm fast as fuck. No? I no. No, I'm for, I'm, no idea? I'm, I'm right, 47. Fine. My TikTok uh, usage is nil, and my TikTok knowledge is very minimal. So No worries. For every, everybody who just... But I feel, like we've got, me, I feel like we've got the gist now, though. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. I'm fast as fuck, boy. Still fast as fuck, boy. Yeah. Now I have even more of the gist than I had before. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I get. For trying to, to trying to bring that up in this, in <laughs> yep. this setting, no, no good deeds gonna go unpunished in this podcast. No, just no not at all. <laughs> but okay, so the gist of that is just guys that can just haul ass. Is that basically what you're saying? Yeah, he's fast. Yeah, although I think against Rice, speaking of running in circles, I I think 
Keelan Robinson might have been able to pull off the old Tecmo Bo Jackson if he had just run in a circle. We'd have had all Evan Rice defenders fruitlessly chasing him around <laughs> until he decided to no. just turn toward the end zone. The ability of some of these running backs to just go one way and decide, nah, fuck it, and turn it and go the other way. I think Rashawn Johnson did that. I'm pretty sure B. John Robinson did that. Well, B. John is, Robinson does that every game. <laughs> yeah, mind-boggling, right? I hope they can do it in conference play, not against Rice, right? Doing it against Rice is okay. Yeah. You did it against Rice. It's something that you see in the highlights, huddle highlights, and really, really athletic guys who are in 3A. You could see that in Jordan Whittington's highlights where he just cuts it and goes back the other way and is like, ah, I don't like this way either, and cuts it and goes the other way. It's a nice 80-yard run for 20 yards. <laughs> well, what it, what it shows you is that especially when you get to, uh, down to Keelan Robinson, Texas, if they wanted to play around with some formations and do some things to maybe kind of throw the defense off, which Sarkeesian is very big on, you could use a guy like Keelan Robinson in the backfield, split out Bijan into the into a slot receiver spot, like we saw against Louisiana when they went empty on that one play, and you experience no drop off as far as effectiveness from the tailback position if you want to do something like that. I mean, Bijan Robinson is a guy who is a Heisman worthy talent, you know. But what we're seeing is there's a whole lot of ridiculous talent in that room. And, you know, the previous staff recruited well. Uh, Sark helped transfer and bring in Keelan Robinson from Alabama. I mean, there it is a plethora of riches there if they can take advantage of it. And, and I like the way those, those backs and those skill sets can complement each other and let you get creative. And we've seen, you know, some jet sweep action, you know, attached to some different run concepts. I hope we see more. We see more guys getting to run it because you've got We've got we've got Jordan Whittington, who's a five star and no you know no slouch with the ball in his hands himself. Now you've got Keelan Robinson. You've got Worthy. I mean, you could bring Bijan himself across if you had a Roshan Johnson in the backfield, and then also just the ability to get some more speed out on the field that can serve as constraints on those plays. Like I think I saw a couple of times when we ran outside zone, it looked like they had a little kind of two man wide receiver uh, bubble screen out to the back side of it. I don't know if there was actually an option to throw that or if it's just window dressing, but if you've got a Worthy or a Keelan Robinson out there, you're all of a sudden like, well, if he gets that one block, the safety may not catch this dude. <laughs> you start to you start to get a lot more room to operate when the backside constraint is a guy who runs a legit 4-4 or better, and the defense has to say, hey, now let's not just watch number five. <laughs> Right. No, they brought out that motion sweep pretty early on in mean, the first play, right, with Xavier Worthy. Mm-hmm. And it kind of set a tone and made the motion game actually dangerous, made the motion man actually dangerous, which is something nice to put on film that now other teams are going to have to take into consideration is this motion man really isn't just window dressing. We actually use him. The guy who goes behind, they throw the ball to him. You have to take this guy seriously. So not only does it allow you to take advantage of the defense moving around and showing you whether they're in zone or man or what exactly they're doing, now you have the ability to put them on their heels and use complementary play calling to have them going one way and then attack them the other way. You saw this a lot, actually, in this game. And something that we didn't see in Arkansas, we saw in Louisiana. It's nice to see again. They saw We saw more of an attacking game plan in this game and you saw that on both the offense and the defense you weren't sitting on your heels you weren't trying to 
bash your head against a wall with B. John Robinson. They used B. John Robinson outside. They used the motion. They attacked in a number of different ways instead of, again, just trying to play Powerball. Yeah, yeah. I'm really hoping we look back at the end of the season and the Arkansas game was just this weird, absolute aberration from a you know game plan or or lack thereof standpoint. I, I really hope in the rest of our games, you know, win, win or lose, win or lose, good or bad, we're just kind of showing that kind of creativity. I don't know if this was a Rice specific game plan. I don't know if they warrant that, but these are concepts. You know, when they work together that can make hay against a lot of teams, you just have to be willing to use them. I really hope that we are, and that's really Sarkeesian's calling card is, you know, a pretty diverse creative offense with concepts that mesh well together and punish you for overplaying one thing. And if that continues to be the hallmark for the rest of the season, I'll be a whole lot happier than I was after Arkansas. Yeah, this really seemed like more of a not rice specific, but more of a get back to basics kind of game plan. And let's get back to doing what a Sarkeesian would like us to do, but also what they believe that this team can do well on, on both sides of the ball. Now we have Casey starting his first game, Casey Thompson, and he wasn't asked to do a whole lot. And, but one of the worries that regardless of who's at quarterback popped up again, and that's in pass protection. Uh, You know, there there was one time Christian Jones just got flat beat by a guy because he's not moving his feet in pass protection. You know, the other couple of real pressures that they got were more of a case of not guys so much missing assignments, but just, you know, they were trying to uh, hit a shot down the field and a guy that was coming that didn't have a hat on a hat just worked his way through the mess and got to Casey as, you know, either right before or right as or right after he released the ball. Yeah, I mean, there was also a few times where there was just a complete lack of communication from the offensive line. Uh, the first real big pressure on Casey Thompson was exactly that. Uh, one where the linebacker literally lined up over Jake Major's face, and Jake Major's turned to help the guard, giving the blitzing linebacker a wide-open straight shot at Casey Thompson. So stuff like that. And Bijan didn't pick him up, and so that's on Bijan as well. Right. No, I'm I'm just saying, like, there is constant miscommunication up front. There were a, a lot of different things that maybe they're trying them out, and, hey, you saw it didn't work against Rice, so we're not going to do it again. Maybe pulling a guard across on a, on a pass. That's the one where Casey Thompson tried to take a hit and deliver a ball, and instead he just took a hit. Uh, that, that was a similar play that happened on his one interception, too. Is They're trying to hit a deep shot to Worthy on a deep post, and the defensive tackle, it was almost like a delayed twist. The defensive tackle was working behind the rest of his line mates, and it just took him an extra second to get through the muck. But Angelau, who was pulling, Junior had already kind of passed that point where that guy was about to come through and had already decided to go block somebody else. So he just went right behind junior and hit Casey in the chest as he's releasing the ball. And it caused an interception, you know, I mean, teams are going to, and teams are going to blitz us in the a gaps and they're going to run these, these D line twists in the middle until this front gets their communication, right? You know, that they weren't doing, Rice wasn't doing anything tricky last week against Arkansas. Arkansas wasn't doing anything tricky. They were just testing our ability to communicate across the front, and it has not proven itself to be high level yet. 
<laughs> I, you know, I, I, I still think there are a couple of guys on on the O line that I've gotten major questions about. I, I think the, I, I think that the, um, you know, rotations or, or or lack thereof through the first, you know, two and a half quarters, whatever it was, tells me that uh, you know, Flood's got a bit of a ride or die mentality right now with his starting five. Hopefully we don't we don't die. So yeah, now it's now I'm, it's just it's on the teaching and the run game. It's you know doing the things that we're best at and you know dressing it up. And in the past game, it is finding a way to help these guys communicate. And maybe that's inside of Flood's head. Hey, for having communication problems, we don't want to switch things up. I think some of the guys that are failing to communicate may continue to do so. But maybe that's some of the thinking is if we're shuffling guys, it makes that communication even harder. I think I saw it on Twitter. Somebody said Kyle Flood is size queening. I don't like to kink shame, but you know, hey, I, you know, I might tend to agree with that aspect. Yeah, I, I don't understand the hesitancy to play Andres Karic beyond the fact that he's not the biggest dude. He's six four, two ninety. He's not six seven, three fifty. Right? I don't get it. Andres Karic, when you saw him in the snaps that he has and the snaps he had last year. I think he's a pretty good offensive lineman. Yeah, he's not the biggest guy, but this is, again, this is Big 12. It's not the SEC. And on top of that, this is college football, not the NFL. Yeah. You don't have to have a guy who was, you know, seven foot, 400 pounds to be a good offensive lineman. Everything that I've read or heard also says the same thing that Flood has this preoccupation with size on his offensive line, like he wants them to be at least a certain size. Size doesn't matter. It's the motion of the ocean. I don't know how many times I have to say this. Keep uh, <laughs> keep, belie- keep believing that. Keep believing that. Um, but at least when it comes to the offensive line, you're a little more correct. It's just one of those things. Look, he's not small. He's just smaller than the guys that are in the starting lineup right now. Uh, the other thing about Karich, and I even saw this, he wasn't the only one I saw this from, he's got some nasty to him when he plays. He really does. He's got he's got a bit of a Casey Studdard-esque mean streak, which anybody who really knows anything about the 2005 team knows that Casey Studdard was really the guy that drove the edge to that offensive line. And this offensive line needs some more edge because Christian, look, Christian Jones is talented. There's no question he is. You can see it. But right now, his technique is all over the place. And he's he, he's not consistent. You know, he's a guy who can move his feet. He's athletic, but he's not moving his feet. And so he tends to lean and try to use his upper body to get blocks. And that's why he gets beat a lot of times. Karich not only moves his feet, but he wants to hit guys in the mouth in a big way. And I saw that on Saturday night. I'll take a guy who weighs ten to twenty less pounds if he's going if he's going to punch the other dude in the face mask and knock him off the ball because I, I really think that they need a little bit more of that right now and they're just not getting it on the left side. I feel like Kyle Flood is is a guy who would look at Puna Ford and say, "Cute." <laughs> God, I'm trying to imagine what Puna Ford would be doing to this O line. <laughs> Oh my god, here. he'd be a, good lord, oh. he'd be abusing them. Oh god, well, I mean I I I will say on you know on on the character's uh, nastiness and willingness to move his feet, 
He moved his feet and moved a rice defender just about over to the Gatorade at one point. <laughs> just about threw him out the club. And, you know, that's there. there's more to O-line play than just that, but it ain't bad. <laughs> and I'd yeah. like to see some more of that, both the ability and the attitude. Yeah, and, you know, I'll give you, Jason will know this example really well. I think Kyle Flood might look at a guy like Mark Stepnoski, who played for the Cowboys on those Super Bowl teams in the 90s, and would just wouldn't even give him a second glance. You know, Stepnoski was an All Pro center who went who ran about what about two sixty. Jason, yeah, two sixty five. If he had just uh, picked up from his weed dealer, um. <laughs> exactly. But the dude was was very strong, had had great technique, and you know it was also very smart up front and just knew what to do. You know, right now Christian Jones, he just doesn't always know what to do. And that goes not only for assignment, but it also goes uh, for technique. You know, Okafor is who he is at this point, and he's not gonna, he's not gonna change. He's not gonna get any better, and he's not gonna be here after this year either. But if you're gonna roll with him and not make any subs, at least do something on that side to help out. Christian Jones played better on Saturday night. I do want to emphasize that, but he still makes. He's still making the same mistakes he was making in in weeks one and two. He just didn't get punished for them as much on Saturday. So switching really quickly, what did y'all think about Casey Thompson and how he played in this game? He wasn't asked to do a lot, as you said, Jacob, but I do think he played all right given what he was asked to do. He went 15 for 18 on attempts to completions or completions to attempts for 164, two touchdowns and an interception. I thought he had a few really nice balls, including a, a backside throw to Xavier Worthy. That showed some really great anticipation and placement. Yeah, I, I think, you know, arm-wise, he's got a good enough arm, throws the ball well enough to, you know, win plenty of ball games. He's, you know, he, he doesn't really have probably the arm talent that, that Hudson Card does. Nobody's going to mistake him for Patrick Mahomes anytime soon, but... You know, he, he throws a good enough ball and he seems to make quick decisions. He, you know, whether it's just a function of more experience, he seems like he is, you know, maybe processing faster, but he's just kind of willing to pull the trigger more quickly than, than Card was certainly in the Arkansas game, you know, on a throw or the decision. If it's not there, I'm going to take off and, and get what I can. And, you know, both of those qualities will be, uh, <laughs> will be in demand, you know, as, as the O-line continues to sort out its communication issues and pass pro. But I was, I was happy to see him. If there was something that looked a little messy, he didn't kind of just sit there and, and stare his way into a sack. He was willing to, uh, you know, Get on the get on the move and make something happen pretty quickly. Yeah, I I kind of had similar thoughts. What he is, what he does right now, that and this is why you know I understand why they made the change. And for the way the offense is set up right now, especially up front with the offensive line, he is probably the better guy to make this offense go. He's not going to make maybe some of the more dynamic, uh, explosive plays especially in the passing game that a Hudson card might be able to do but because he he makes his decisions a little bit faster I think he is the guy that is going to make this offense go you know more than Hudson well I mean you even saw it from Hudson on Saturday night he's still trying to look for the bigger play down the field and it almost resulted in a pick it's a ball that probably should have been caught um, by Mucci but you know it was it was still a a play where he tried to fire a pass 
into a receiver when he had a much easier throw uh, shorter in front of him to Jatavian Sanders that probably would have had a very solid gain on its own, but he tried to use that arm talent and fire one in. Yeah. Let's change gears here. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, uh, where are we changing gears to? I was going to go to the defense. Okay. Uh, one real quick thing before we do on, on the receivers, you know, as we saw, you know, some game-breaking ability and speed from multiple guys, yeah, there are worse things than making a quick decision, getting a ball out underneath and letting a guy make a play for you. And, yeah. you know, I think, you know, Let in an ideal world, be a game breaker. Yeah, in an ideal world, you're bombing it deep to, you know, Worthy or a Whittington or, you know, several of the guys who've got some real wheels on this team. But there's also guys that are scared at the ball in their hand and quick decisions, you know, some quicker elements of the passing game that get those guys, you know, in space fast and hopefully some room maneuver. That's not a bad quality for your QB to to have and to be able to to unlock for the rest of your team. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and switch gears here again to the defensive side of the ball. Overall, what did y'all think? I mean, Texas pitched a shutout. They got what they wanted. Any complaints? Any compliments? What are y'all's thoughts? Okay. Uh, yeah. First off, you know, a, a shutout is a shutout regardless of who you're playing. And the fact that it seemed really important to the defense to get that from the first whistle to the final right. was... Let's nitpick. <laughs> right. I, I just like, I like, I like to see that attitude from, you know, fr- from the defense. I, li- I liked seeing them, you know, bearing down at the very end of the game when things had long since been decided. Like, we, we do not want these some bitches getting in the end zone and ultimately kept them out. So I was I was just happy to see that, you know, in a game where guys could have Cadillacted a little bit, I was, I was glad to see, you know, intensity from start to finish. But... I was pretty mature on the last one. <laughs> <laughs> but... When the game was in doubt in the you know in the first half when it was really competitive, there's still some issues up front with the defensive line that just so far just are not fixing themselves. Um, I do like the fact that again this defense is finding a way to force turnovers. You know they force turnovers in the first half basically just by really putting helmets and shoulders on the ball and knocking it loose from guys, and you you love seeing that. And really, you really kind of have to almost look at what they did before their first two court for Rice lost their first two quarterbacks on kind of nondescript play as guys just got hurt uh, on tackles and got knocked out for Rice. But they're still not causing enough disruption on the defensive line in the backfield because Rice hit some hit some good runs in that first half. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about in as the season was starting is the reports we were getting out of fall camp about how this D line was playing so well, the offensive line was struggling, but towards the end of camp, you know, the offensive line started to win their own, win their battles and whatnot. One of the fears when you hear things like that is that it's not a zero sum game, you know, because you, you want some balance. You want, especially up front, you want each side to win battles, but instead of this, defensive line just being a terror like we thought maybe they were it really was just more the fact that the offensive line was really just kind of sucking in fall camp and towards the end maybe started playing a little bit better and the defensive line didn't quite quite win as much but this defensive line is not as dominant as we thought and you know man Keandre Coburn is 
you got to do more than just be a fire plug, dude. You really do. I mean, and that's all he's being right now. I see too many guys up front playing with crappy pad level and not really trying to take angles to get by guys to get into the backfield and wreak some havoc. Outs, you know, I think I think Moro Ojomo is, is doing a decent job at that. And Tavondre Sweat finally showed up this week some. But they need a lot more of that. And there are some guys in the starting lineup that just aren't giving it to him. And Byron Murphy and the snaps he's done, is, he's had has also been very productive. And, and you're talking about Keandre Cobra, and I completely agree. Uh, he stands straight up when he plays. He plays patty cake, and he seems like he's lost some strength. And the numbers back that up. And I'm going to go to Pro Football Focus here. It's sort of controversial to go to them because sometimes their numbers are off. But Pro Football Focus usually has a measure of a defender's overall production they have per snap they give a number it's like a defensive rating and again it's numbers are basically how much production did this player have over the number of snaps he played versus the run or the pass and Keandre Coburn his freshman year averaged a score of 69 his sophomore year 71 and his junior year is 76 can y'all venture a guess as to what he is right now god 45 I was gonna guess in the 30s well, I mean, if we're playing prices right rules, then Jacob wins. Uh, he's a 54 this year. So he's dropped 22 points. That loss in production is noticeable in the numbers. Yeah. It is so far, he's been getting his ass handed him in the run game, whereas in years past, he's been the one handing out asses. <laughs> handing out asses. So don't, yep. don't stop at his yep, house. I wrote that one. I wrote that one down. I wanted to say that. There you go. You don't stop at his house on Halloween, folks. That didn't come off the top of the head. I wrote that one down. I don't want to take credit. I want to take credit for being witty. There. Well, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of the. Uh, trying to think of Doctor Tran right now. I'm trying to think of some of those lines from that, <laughs> that 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 video. Just <laughs> he just handing them out. <laughs> I mean, it. Yeah, Coburn. I don't know what is up with him this year, but he is not getting any kind of penetration he's not bullying guys up the field like we've seen in the past and you know I mean he does a decent job at times holding up blocks which allows Overshone and and Brockermeyer to be able to run free to make plays but when that's all you're really doing consistently a defense needs more from from him than that and I'm really kind of getting to the point where I want to see more of guys like Alfred Collins and people like that to get in there, guys who can get up the field and get into gaps and cause some havoc. Because right now, I mean, if linemen are able to get to the second level and get a hold and get on Overshone and Brockermeyer, they're getting big chunks of yardage because we're not stopping much stuff in the run game in the backfield. We may stop a lot of stuff right at or right around the line of scrimmage, but we're not getting into the backfield and getting TFLs in the run game very much right now. Yeah, you, you never want to see a guy on the, I know it's the other side of the ball and a while back, you never want to see a guy on the James Brown career progression where he's getting worse in his senior year. Yeah. <laughs> Significantly uh... worse. But that's, yeah, that's what we've gotten from him so far. And yeah, if he's not able to find some juice, you know, the great Scipio Tex always says, you know, sometimes you have to wait until October or so for the big men to start to get frisky, but 
I mean, he's always had more frisk than this, even in hot yeah. weather. It's not like there's not a rotation going on. We're not asking 65 snaps out of the guy, and he's wearing down at the end. But yeah, if he's not if he's not finding it and finding it soon, I mean, I think he needs to be going to you know to backing up sweat and uh, you know I I don't know we we don't really have another classic one technique. We got some guys that are growing into it, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to see what you know a Collins would look like. Being more, you know, of a Jason Hatcher type, you know, disruptive, penetrating nose, something like that. Because, you know, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat at, you know, in every position in football. And, you know, defensive line's no exception. But, you know, standing straight up and patty-caking the guy has, that cat's got all its fur on it still. Yeah, I mean, you know, Wilfork, Vince Wilfork, the former Patriots and Texans nose tackle was the... Biggest motherfucker Big I've ever uh, seen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, his job generally was to be a fire plug in that defense, but he also, not all the time, but he also at times would wreak havoc in the backfield by just whipping the center or the guard that was over him or splitting two guys and getting in there and just blowing plays up. You have to have both. But on this defense especially, they need that because they don't have any, th- any consistent pressure coming from the outside. And it's something that we may not see this year when you don't have guys that can come in from the outside and disrupt things. You have to have it up the middle and Coburn's just not providing it. Well, I don't want to hate too much on these big guys because big boys, you know, they need love too. Let's go ahead and take a look at that second line because those all, they, those guys also were a problem for this run game. You know, if we're going to nitpick a, a shutout, right? A lot of the time, what I saw was, these linebackers getting caught in trash uh, or getting sucked to the outside. There were a lot of plays that actually went for, you know, 20 yards for rice or 10 yards for rice. It was just a delayed handoff and it caused it, you know, basically they were just waiting to clear away for our defensive line, let the linebackers move themselves out of the play and then run it straight up the middle. And it worked a lot. So having, those linebackers kind of scheme themselves out of the play is now something that is on tape and other teams are going to try to exploit. Yeah, I saw Overshone do that a few times on Saturday where he basically just had floated him, floated his way out of the ability to make a play on the running back just because you know, I don't know if he just got antsy and thought maybe, okay, maybe he's not coming this way. He must have gone the other way. But uh, yeah, there were a couple of times where he... He basically just either over-pursued or just picked the wrong way to go. With Luke, I saw more him just, I mean, now they brought him a few times, which they've been wanting to do the first few weeks. But with him, I mean, a lot of times I just, on the bigger runs, I just saw him getting blocked. And I think probably a lot of it has to do with them being attacking linebackers. They're asked to be attackers. And so they go, and if they're not doing something for a while, they just go out and attack and it might not be the right spot. Yeah, there are times you do need to stay home, but I, I, I was expecting some better things this game out of Overshone when he showed up in the field wearing all of Shang-Chi's ten rings on his arm. I thought that was going to be... <laughs> I thought that his chi was going to be really focused and he was going to be, you know, throwing dragons at dudes or something, but that, that wasn't totally the game he played. I, mean, I don't think the linebackers were terrible in this game. I think they've been... You know, somewhere between serviceable and pretty good most of the year. But yeah, de- dealing with misdirection, I 
God, when was the last when was the last linebacker we had that was that was good at it? <laughs> Britt Hager. <laughs> but, oh yeah, reading Mister. But but yeah, I mean you do you do also you do also ask um you know you, you ask your D line sometimes when something is this slow developing misdirection wacky play in the backfield just go blow it up yourselves. But yeah, it's something some teams will probably try to take advantage of. I'm not. I'm not like slamming the panic button on it yet as a specific issue. But yeah, you you want to see you want to see a better level of play against that type of you know that type of run action than we saw, especially given the level of opponent. Well, and here's the problem: is we don't have much at linebacker behind our top two. Te- I mean, Texas just doesn't have much there, and that was that was something that people had talked about coming into the season. You know, David Benda, he still just me he. He just misreads plays too much. He, he's not he's not sure where the play is going. He reads things late. He, he reads and reacts late and isn't able to get himself in position to make a play. And, you know, he's your first guy off the bench right now at linebacker. And, you know, you really have to have Brockermeyer and Overshone out there on pretty much every play because there's not much behind him. Let's take a look at Texas Tech now. Let's get on to the next week here. We're now in the conference play. Game's matter more not that they didn't against arkansas but now they now they really no that's why texas lost to arkansas it didn't really matter now now it matters so <laughs> texas is now playing uh texas tech to start off the season let's take a look at the offense because texas tech usually has a really good offense this year they're not high-flying texas tech air raid that we know them to usually be they more reminiscent of what we are starting to see all over the big 12 which is a run first attack they still have you know they're sort of texas tech gunslinger motifs here and there maybe is the right word to say it but they try to attack high and outside they try to go deep and they try to attack the outside and then once you start to cheat to the outside they go inside that's sort of what i was seeing in what i could watch from houston and what i could watch from fiu uh, in this year's texas tech what are y'all's thoughts on texas tech I mean, they, they, they bring a lot to the table, including uh, chlamydia. But, <laughs> I, yeah, th- th- this is going to be, you know, I think more of a more of a test for the Longhorn defense than the offense. I mean, they, you know, the offense still has to prove that it's going to go out there with a good game plan and execute consistently. But, you know, Tech does have some, some playmakers. Uh, I'm going to probably mess his name up. Eric uh, Ezukanma, I think I got it right. Like th- this is the guy it's with pretty that close. kind of yeah, like you know the, the the size and speed that you know maybe we were terrified of from uh, I think it was Burks for Arkansas that made us sit in two high safeties the entire game. But yeah, yeah. He, he's he's lit up the stat sheet in a couple of their first. I think he had like one seventy nine against Houston, one forty three against Stephen F. Austin. Apply whatever discount factor to that <laughs> that that you want. But you know he he's he's certainly going to be a test. Uh, but I mean, in theory, that plays right into the you know the the strengths of our team for one reason or another. Our outside corners have rarely been challenged this year, and most of the time when they have been challenged, they've uh, risen up to it. But you know he he may be yeah he's you know certainly their toughest test of the season in terms of both physical ability and you know likelihood that the ball is going to go in the air to him. So I think that's the you know that's that's the number one thing that you watch, and then Tyler Show Shall uh, Shuck 
That would have. Yeah. That would, Tyler Shuck. I would. Makes I would no not, sense. I would not have guessed that. I think there should be a C and a K somewhere in there versus a. Uh, but yeah, what, what 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 do I know? I'm not as I'm not as parents. So uh, yeah, to, to do what you want there, uh, Shuck. But yeah, I mean, he's yeah he's I think you know kind of that classic uh, you know drop back tower of power type guy that uh, makes old school uh, old school scouts drool. But you know I I think he uh, he doesn't present some of the challenges that you know more of your dual threat guys in the Big Twelve do. But uh, yeah, they've they've got a, a reasonably uh, solid O line. They they protect pretty well. So you know, I think you know the when you're starting to look at the defensive game plan, you're saying, okay, you know, how do we how do we shut down their you know their biggest threat? And then uh, Bill Belichick parlance make them play left handed. And can this defensive line that you know hasn't really lit the world on fire so far? Can they start getting some consistent pressure? You know, against an O line that is not Alabama, but does their job pretty well and is protected pretty well so far. Yeah, I, the offensive line does return a lot of guys, but they are still vulnerable. Uh, if you cause a lot of movement up front, at least for FIU, even for Stephen F. Austin, and for sure Houston, if you cause a lot of movement up front, there's a high probability of causing confusion between guys, especially the right tackle Caleb Rogers. He has slow feet. If you can get a fast guy on him, I you know if you get Ovi Agufo onto him, I can see something happening. And then the same for that left guard, uh, Weston Wright. He's also tends to get beat a lot. Uh, their best player on that offensive line right now is the center, but you know he doesn't have a lot of help to his left or right. And as far as Azukama, yeah, you're right. He has great size, great hands, good technique. And he's hard to take down, even when he's when he gets going. He's basically like a like a bull, and the guy who's behind it, it's sort of like a, a thunder and lightning. So you have the big, the big guy, the big tall, lanky wide receiver. And then you have Kalen Geiger, 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 Geiger. It's uh, for now, it's for now Smith. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, K- Kalen Smith, uh, the second most targeted wide receiver for them. He's a speedster they picked up from from Troy. He's kind of that lightning to Eric's thunder. And he'll sometimes hide in a horse. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Taylor, Taylor, Tyler Shuck, Taylor Shuck. It might, might as well be Taylor Shuck, Tyler Shuck. Uh, yeah, you're right. Kind of reminds <laughs> me a little bit of, was impeccable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he kind of reminds me of, you know, one of your tip, your prototypical quarterbacks. He does have a little wiggle to him. He can get out of the pocket, but if he gets hit, Early, uh, it takes a while for him to settle down, and that's sh- that's proven out through the first three games they've had. Each time he's kind of taken a few hits at the beginning, and they've had to get him into a rhythm later on in the game. However, this game they're going to have back Sir Roderick Thompson, who last year against Texas had 16 carries, 104 yards, two touchdowns, and 104 of those yards came on 75-yard burst. But uh, he's back, and we know what we he can do. He's back, but you don't know how much they're going to work him into the game plan. And he 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 just came back to the lineup off of his shoulder injury last week, um, and he only got four carries in the ball game. <clears throat> so you know, and the thing is, is I don't think they have to rush him back out there. They can use him as a complement to Taj Brooks, who has been playing very good football uh, mm-hmm. these first three weeks for Texas Tech. Out of Austin, out of Manor, yeah, out of Manor High School. Uh, they, you know. They are a lot more balanced of an offense than we have seen at Tech, from Texas Tech 
in a long time. Uh, and that's a little bit more typical of what Matt Wells, I think, wants as a head coach. But he didn't want to get rid of the spread, throw-and-go of the Leach days and of the Kingsbury days. Uh, but he is typically more of a balanced offense type of guy, and Taj Brooks has given him that this year. I mean, to get the kids averaging you know, 8.1 yards a carry this year uh, really did uh, damage the first two weeks against Houston and SFA. Had kind of a down week last week against Florida International, but the passing game against Florida International went nuts. For them was Shuck throwing for almost for about 400 yards. Man, those small running backs at Austin are doing pretty well, aren't they? Yeah, let me tell you about it. <laughs> um, but I, I do think you'll see more of Sir Roderick Thompson this week, if nothing else, as a compliment to Brooks. You know, because Thompson has a lot of power, as we saw last year. He is when he's healthy, he is an absolute load to try and bring down. But you know, when it comes to defending their receivers. You know, like I said, it's not like it's been in the past. I mean, yeah, they have three primary targets, and they are kind of your stereotypical do-everything guy, speed guy, possession guy. You know, that that's that's kind of what you have between Ezekama, Geiger, and Kuntz. Uh, as you said, Will Geiger's the speed guy. Ezekama can do whatever you need him to do, and Kuntz is more of a more of a possession guy. Now, when they get into the red zone, they'll spread it out a little bit more because, I mean, you could just look at the numbers, and they've got six touchdowns spread out over five different wide receivers so far this year. But um, this week, and we talked about this against Arkansas, I really think, unlike years past, I think the first focus needs to be slowing down that Texas Tech run game because that's I think that's going to be the key to really getting them off kilter is slowing down Taj and Sir Roderick or whoever else they throw at you. Throw at you. But Brooks and Thompson, I'm guessing – this week mixing in some Xavier White, but that's probably going to be your primary combination. And Texas needs to slow them down to slow down Tech. Sir Roderick sounds like he should be a knight. Sir Roderick. Sir Roderick of Thompson. Sir Roderick. Sir Roderick. Sir Roderick of Thompson. Sir Roderick of Lubbock. <laughs> There's always the, uh, I do these uh, debutante balls. And when I was growing up, because I'm, do, do you not know what a debutante ball is? Well, I know what they I, were. I'm my, just trying to figure to out to understand your role, your role in them, them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was i was doing the deep bow uh anyways there is always these people who come in from out of town and they they always give them like these fancy names they'd be like oh the 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 opal of amarillo the the diamond of dallas and i was always like the cubic zirconium of lubbock texas <laughs> <laughs> Okay. The okay. Pap, the pap smear of Pampa. <laughs> Ew. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, the fool's gold of of Houston, Texas. Um, the pyrite of Pampa. There you go. There we go. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, a little more family friendly. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> so, guys, what are the keys for Texas to take on this? This Texas Tech offense. Oh, oh, Jacob already said. Jason, do you have any ideas on how to take on the Texas Tech offense? Um, it's it's one of those things where I am just looking for, you know, that that really well executed kind of meat and potatoes game plan on defense, which I think we you know did a reasonable job of against Ulala, who is kind of that team that that asks for that. Arkansas was, you know, run first and second team that we completely failed to adjust to. Rice wants to be a power running team despite being Rice. You know, we had a couple issues against that. Um, you know, I think a you know a balanced attack 
while we might have to get creative with some, you know, line movements and blitzes to get pressure, it doesn't scream exotic to me so much as let's line up and execute at the basics and kind of, you kind of hope the talent wins out, but I think it's a, it's kind of a call out and a test, you know, for the D line, I think as, as much as anybody we've, we've, haven't seen anywhere near the you know the pressure we'd like from the edges and we've seen guys get washed out in the run game a number of times so you know we've talked about uh you know Coburn already ad nauseum I'm I'm nauseous for one so you know I if Kwiatkowski's really got something up his sleeve that's unique great but my hope for the rest of conference play is that before we need to get really tricky to, you know, take on, you know, NOU or maybe an Oklahoma state, although they seem to be in a, a slough of dust bond, let's line up and, you know, play some basic good winning football and start to see some of these battles that you'd think a Texas can win against these schools with a talent deficiency. Let's go take a look at Texas Tech's defense. Now, usually they're not known for their defense, but they've been doing pretty all right as of recent. It's not a typical Texas Tech defense, which is just going to cave to any old offense. They run a 3-4 defense. It kind of looks like a 3-3 at times. The stalactite of Slayton. <laughs> I'm, digging out, I'm digging out every last bit of Craig Way West Texas town names I can come up with here. <laughs> oh, man. I, I can't think of any more bad... Minerals, though. <laughs> well, this, the schist. The, the schist. Yeah, the schist uh, of Abilene. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, the amethyst the, of Abilene. Uh, the amethyst of Abilene. The super fun side of San Saba. <laughs> <laughs> but Texas Tech, they run a 3-4 defense. It kind of looks at times like a 3-3 defense with a floating spur or at times a, a true 4-2 it just depends on where they are. They oftentimes use a light box with a lot of twists and stunts to spring a veteran group of linebackers free on blitzes. Very much like Arkansas, but they're a lot more attack heavy than Arkansas. They like to bring a lot of blitzes. They like to cause a lot of havoc or at least try. That's what their defensive coordinator tried to pride himself on is causing havoc, try to cause turnovers. And that's sort of what they try to hang their hat on here. Texas Tech will be bringing to the field, one of the most experienced defensive units in the Big 12. They have eight seniors, three juniors, eight of which are returning starters, one of which is a transfer from Wisconsin who has done very, very well. Their nose tackles are grad transfers. They have a lot, a lot. I mean, honestly, they're probably the oldest team Texas has seen so far at on the defensive side of the ball. What are y'all's thoughts so far when you take a look at this Texas Tech defense? Well, yeah, I mean, they're going to test the communication up front on the O-line. I think they would have done that regardless of what we saw in the first few weeks. But because of how the offensive line has played in the first three weeks, they're definitely going to do that now. Um, You know, and and the type of defense that Matt Wells runs is perfect for that. They'll They'll do all kinds of zone blitz schemes, bring in guys from all different types of places, um, you know, the, the brother schooler is one of the leaders on that defense right now. Um, as he's got, let's see, I think he's got like 20 tackles. Last year, on the he year. was a leading tackler among all FBS players and he leads them in tackles this year as well. Yeah. And he's, he's got, uh, two or two and a half tackles for a loss this year. He's one of the few guys in their front, their front formation who doesn't have a sack yet this year, but 
as a defense, they've gotten eight sacks this year from eight different players, which means they're bringing pressure from everywhere, and everybody is is in at one time or another getting pressure on the quarterback from some direction. So, I mean, it's it's not common that you see the you know eight sacks in three games is pretty good, but eight different players is even more unusual of a stat. Um, they've uh, forced five interceptions this year. Uh, from a turnover perspective, you know, their tackles for loss this year are pretty spread out as well amongst a whole number of players. But, you know, it, it definitely Colin Schooler is is kind of the main guy in that in that front box who likes to wreak a lot of havoc. And, yeah, they're they are absolutely going to the, the, the communication this week. Uh, you know, obviously, if Texas can get their outside zone running game going. Um, and one thing we hadn't brought up yet is I thought the tight ends played a lot better this week, uh, especially in the blocking realm than we've seen in a while. Thank God Jared Wiley's back um, because he adds an extra dimension. But they're going to need a lot of that and the use of the two tight ends. If, if for nothing else, maybe try to keep them from blitzing so much and try to get that outside run game going. I think the things that we were talking about that we liked from – a lot of the Rice offensive game plan, you know, in the run game with outside zone, you know, they worked in a little bit of pin and pull here and there, you know, this, you know, jet game, orbit game, all that. There's not many better ways to, you know, slow down these crazy interior blitzes. And, oh, by the way, two of your pursuit guys are now out of it. And a guy who runs a 4-4 has just hit the edge. <laughs> so I, I really hope that that is a significant part of the game plan as well as, working in some RPO action, not just, you know, out to the out to the side, but hitting an RPO slant off the backside of outside zone is not that hard. I mean, the Houston Texans can do it. If the Houston Texans can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> you know, th- things, <laughs> just, just, you know, simple things like that that can really punish that type of downhill aggression from linebackers, I hope, are are right there. You, know, you can ask, hey, go win the physical battle. Hey, communicate well up front, but just punish the hell out of them on first and second down for getting aggressive. Keep yourself out of that third and eight that uh, Arkansas played it the other way and dropped everybody. They may decide to bring everybody, but neither is great with, you know, quarterbacks finding their way, an offensive line that's finding its way. Just just punish them for that and, and get them out of what they like to do on the early downs. Yeah, they're going to be bringing guys from all over the place, as we've already said. You want to take advantage, again, as Jason said, of you want to make them make mistakes. Use their aggression against them. Sort of do what we were just talking about with our Texas linebackers. They want to be aggressive, so they're moving themselves out of position. You want to do that exactly with guys like Rico Jeffers and Colin Schooler. Rico Jeffers, he's an incredible tackler. He makes a living out of reading plays and cutting through the defensive line to stop runs. You want to make sure that he can't read. He doesn't know which way a run is coming from. He doesn't know whether or not to keep an eye on the motion man or not. And even then, those linebackers' backups are flying around. And that's sort of, again, why I feel like this team is very much Arkansas. They have very good, experienced linebackers. They're a defensive line. They have a, they have a few sort of guys, nose tackles, who have motor. Jalen Hutchins has... Two sacks, I believe. I thought I don't, I'm not sure. Um, given, I don't know. We're probably looking at different stats here. They also have Devin Drew, who is a sturdy guy versus the run. Their defensive line is is more there to eat up blocks 
for, to allow their linebackers to and blitzers to come in. Even then, that spur, Reggie Pearson, they got from Wisconsin, that dude's been a monster for him. He's great in pursuit. He just flies to the ball. Uh, he was able, I believe, I read that he wasn't going to play at Wisconsin, and then he got cleared to play at Texas Tech. So he came down, and he's again, he's kind of been exactly what you need in a spur line, linebacker, defensive back. He can drop back into coverage. He can come up in pursuit. He's what you need, and Texas Tech has a really, really solid, not great, but solid front seven. They're not a shut-you-down defense. What they are is they are a pressure a pressure defense to force you into mistakes. You know, that's mm-hmm. how they've kind of lived so far this year. I mean, they were down, what was it, 21 to nothing to Houston at the half in their season opener. They had this huge second-half comeback, and a lot, and it was mainly driven by turnovers. Their offense also got going in the second half, but it was because they started causing pressure and forcing turnovers, which is what makes their defense go. Um, they're not a defense that's going to line up and just shut you down and just prevent you from gaining yards. They're giving up yards. They're just not giving up quite as many points because they're forcing you into mistakes. Yeah, we're going to have to see what our wide receivers can do. Josh Moore is just kind of MIA right now. Yeah, I think that's partially a function of the quarterback play, O-line play. You know, it's, I don't, I'm not quite sure what to say about Josh Moore right now, but he, they definitely need him to start stepping up. Xavier Worthy's making some plays. Jordan Whittington, there wasn't much there for him to do this past week, but we saw how many plays he made in week one. He had opportunities to make plays against Arkansas and just didn't make them. Yeah, this, the staff obviously likes Xavier Worthy, but he's going to be going up against a guy in Demarcus Fields who, through the first three games, has four uh, pass breakups and has a 50% completion percentage against him on 22 targets. He's done pretty well. Uh, so there's him and Adrian Fry, both guys who have a lot of tenure. You have in the safeties Marquise Waters, who's sort of that center fielder. Hasn't really been tested this year, though. And Eric Monroe, who has been there since 2016. He's been he's been in the game since 2016. He was in LSU. He went to LSU. He's like a five-star, I believe, four, high four-star, five-star. And went to LSU, then transferred to Texas Tech. That dude's just older than – I feel like he's that quarterback from BYU who just never left. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we don't really need to mention his name. Yeah. It's uh, – uh, <laughs> Yes. That, that too is, soon. That is, yeah. He, too he soon. Who shall, he who shall not be named. He's making plays in the yeah. NFL. Everybody knows who he yes. is. We don't need to. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The fetish, Anyways. fetishistic object of Sean Payton's irrational desire. <laughs> it's not very pithy, so, but we'll call him that. You have a lot of, again, solid guys. They can make plays. They are prone to mistakes. They are prone to giving up uh, bigger plays and miscommunications due to being how due to their aggression, due to all the things that they do in the backfield. You know, despite their veteran play, I mean, they've given up big, big plays to FIU and Houston and, well, and Stephen yeah, F. Austin. Yeah, I mean, Stephen F. Austin, they gave up 343 yards passing to you know yeah. to that to that group. I mean, they they are they can be had. That's not the question. Um, but in order to make plays against them, you've got to keep them out of your backfield. And that's, you know, that, that's what they have to do. Yeah. Yeah. So Jason, on that note, what do you think is the most important thing? What are the, are the keys for Texas's offense here in this game? 
Um, you know, I, I really think as much as you'd like to, you know, just steamroll what you traditionally think Texas Tech to be up the gut and steamroll everybody up the gut, I think it is, you know, outside, you know, if, if we went outside the numbers handily, I think we can win this game pretty handily, whether it's, you know, attacking the edges in the run game, you know, attacking it, attacking it with jet sweeps and getting those, you know, some of the, you know, the playmaking burners that we really have, you know, letting them show that they can, <laughs> that they, they can beat these dudes. And we may scheme a couple of, you know, max protection shots. We may try a couple of three-step fades and, See if they can run away or get out of it. I'd, I'd like to see us, you know, protect heavy and and see some more like the double move goodness from Xavier Worthy that we saw in Week One against Louisiana. But yeah, I I think uh, attacking them away from where they're trying to you know bring numbers in confusion and letting your guys outrun and beat their guys on the outside is really what I'd like to see. Yeah, because you know one of the things about the outside zone that has made it so effective for Texas is not just the fact that they're able to, you know, as Jason said, you don't have to win all these individual battles. Um, but it also, this, especially with the way Texas runs it, that outside zone has, it opens up backside cutting lanes that a guy like Bijan Robinson is so ridiculously good at seeing and capitalizing on. We've seen it from Keelan Robinson as well. Roshan Johnson to a lesser extent, but you know, <laughs> Very similar to what we talked about in week one, what we talked about in week two against Arkansas, Texas needs to win up front. If this team wins the battles at the line of scrimmage, they're going to beat just about everybody they play because they have the back-end talent on defense. They have the skill position talent to take advantage of those of extra time to let plays develop and things of that nature. You have to win the battle of the line of scrimmage. And that's what's been inconsistent for Texas so far in these three games. On that note, I think we're getting it off there, y'all. That has been 4th and 5, your Longhorn Nation podcast. Guys, Mr. we'll start off with you, Mr. Jacob Dedimore. Where can we find you on the internets? Uh, you can find me on the interwebs on Twitter, at uh, Kips underscore big underscore boy. Uh, that's the primary spot. Uh, if you ever see me on the Longhorn message boards it's kips big boy as well all one word so that's where you'll find my musings from time to time and father jason chilton where can we find you <laughs> I, apparently <laughs> at a catholic church <laughs> <laughs> um no, on uh, twitter at uh no k-n-o-w the game 60 um i i guess i guess i'm yeah. is that what i do pontificate it's a combination of those but yes yes find my pontifications catholic church changing diapers yeah don't know if you needed to mix those three together but uh it it makes sense it makes sense if you if you don't think about it 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 some some uncomfortable imagery gets raised there but uh we'll we'll, we'll skirt past that that's not what i meant Oh, oh, that's just <laughs> dawned on me what I just said. Uh, all right. Well, that's staying in the podcast. You guys can find us and our other podcasts on the Hornscast channel. It's the Hornscast channel on any podcasting platform you guys listen to. I'm guessing you're listening to your favorite one right now. So go ahead, give a subscription, rate us, tell us what you think. Let us know on Twitter, on Reddit, on 
you know, if you know our home addresses, please don't. But, you know, I can't stop you. I guess police maybe can, but we'll see. But let us know what you Not think of the show. Not quite sure why we're bringing up internet stalking or live stalking now, but uh, I'm even further disturbed. Even if you're upset by the show, please don't swat us. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, we're just giving everybody some bad ideas. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you all next week. Welcome. Welcome.